This is episode 33 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with John Moon. I was very, um, very much for creating a, an internship. I knew that that was important for our field. Um, but I was like, I'm only, you know, two and a half, three years out of my internship. And, um, you know, what, what do I have to offer? for these interns, um, but I have a lot to offer, I have found. Um, not to pat myself on the back, but I think all of us have um, our own unique perspective of music therapy and something to share um, with students that are about to enter the workforce. And they get to shadow up underneath you and learn how you do music therapy. Also create for themselves you know, what they want to do with music therapy. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. On today's episode, I have John Moon, who is one of the co-hosts of Clinical Populations. I'm sure if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you have heard the name of Clinical Populations before because John is the third co-host who has been gracious enough to come on this podcast and talk with me. So when you're done listening to this episode, go check them out over there. I will link their website, Instagram, all that good stuff in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Those reviews really help the podcast be more visible. And as John said in this episode, he had been looking for this kind of content for a while and wasn't really finding it. So those reviews help this podcast and other podcasts like this one be more visible for people looking for this content. Please also consider joining our group on Facebook at Music Therapy Chronicles and then just click the join group button. And we're also on Instagram. All right, let's get into this episode with John. Hi, John. Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Good. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself outside of music therapy? All right. Well, I am from Georgia, um, born and raised, Southern boy. Uh, I went to Georgia College and State University and studied music therapy. Um after that, I got a job as an activities director in a skilled nursing unit, um, and I've been working in activities and assisted living since then. Um, what else you want to know? Anything you want to share? Um, I'm married to my wife, Samantha. Uh, we got two cats. No kids. Cats or kids? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally relate to that. So you, in your email to me, you said you did a minor in math. Did I get that right? I did. So tell um, us about that. So I did, when I first went to college, I did not know what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew that I enjoyed math um, and was thinking about doing engineering. Um, so I did, I was a math major for about a year and a half. Um, and then I started looking with a math major, you have a lot of elective credits that you can get um, a minor or take elective classes. So I started looking at music therapy um, as a minor. I had some friends um, who were doing that as a major. It sounded really interesting. And I, I was kind of self-taught on piano and I've been singing. Uh, my dad's a, a preacher, so I've been singing in church since, you know, I could sing. Um, but went and talked with the department chair and she was like, well, why don't you take this piano and guitar class and see how you like it? And then, you know, we'll move on from there. I said, okay. Um, I went home to sign up for those classes and um, there was a, a hold on those classes. You had to be a music therapy major to sign up for them. So I emailed her and I was like, hey, could you lift that hold for me? And she said, oh yeah, got it taken care of, you're signed up. And I was like, okay. About three weeks later, I checked my train guide and it um, said that I was a music therapy major. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I was like, we'll just go with it for a little while. And I really fell in love with music therapy. Um, and since I had already put in all of that time and effort into a math major, I needed to take one more class to get the minor. So went on and struggled through one more upper level math class and got that minor. Wow. Good for you. That's kind of funny that, um, I don't want to say you were forced into it, but in a way you were <laughs> kind of forced into it. It was that I, I had been, you know, really thinking about, and at that point I knew I didn't want to do engineering anymore. And so I was sitting there going, you know, what do I want to do? I guess I'll be a, a teacher or something like that. And, um, I was like, well, we'll see what a music therapist does. I really didn't know anything about music therapy when I went into the program, um, other than what my friends had told me. And so, um, finding out that you can use music that I love to make and share to help people, which is also something I'm passionate about doing. Um, I was like, this is the best of both worlds. So what was that initial moment or experience or, uh, I don't know, anything that, that really convinced you that that was the change to make? Um, I don't know. I just, being in the classes, um, the first semester was really hard because I came in in the spring and everybody else had started in the fall. So they all kind of had their feet under them. And so I was, they're like, okay, well, we're going to plan some activities and session plans. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. So <laughs> I'm going to need a little bit more guidance on that. Um, but it honestly forced me to like really dive in and, and figure out what how music can be used to do the different goals that we were assigned to come up with an activity for. Um, and it really put, made me think outside the box. And um, I don't know, I just saw how versatile music was and how it can be used with so many different populations and in different scenarios. And I think that was it. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're, we're glad to have you here in the music therapy space. <laughs> Thank you, I'm glad to be here. So. 
you initially were interested in at-risk youth populations? Yes. So I had worked with um, a summer camp while I was in college, and they worked. Uh, it was a Christian camp that worked with ministries that uh, in inner-city uh, communities with at-risk youth. And I started working there just in the summers, and um, I loved working with the kids. They just stole my heart right away, and um, I was really passionate about the the camp ministry, and um, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was was sure of it going through college. I remember that in one of our junior classes, we had to write a uh, program proposal, and I did that for the camp, Um, and I was just gung-ho ready to to jump right into to that as a career when I graduated. Um, but then I did my internship with um, an assisted living. And it was a, a continuing care retirement community that had independent assisted memory care and skilled nursing. And I really only chose it because of its proximity to the school that I could stay in my apartment. Um, it wouldn't cost me any more than I had been spending in school. Um, to live, uh, but then I fell in love with with my uh, geriatric populations and, and the assisted living and, and memory care and skilled nursing. So those are two very different populations, both in age and in just the their needs in general and how you address them as a music therapist. So what part of each of those drew you to them? Um, I love the energy of a kid. I, I'm, I've got the Peter Pan syndrome. I'm never going to grow <laughs> up and, uh, you know, forever a kid. Um, but I love the energy of working with the kids. Um, while I was doing the summer, uh, summer camps, we did some rap writing workshops and, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and just seeing their creativity come out. Um, and I wouldn't say that I had that same initial love for, um, in the assisted living setting, but, and especially with dementia, which is where um, I work with, what I work with the most right now, um, they, trying to figure out, seeing that our residents come alive with music and seeing how they can, um, just how their brain will work when we're in a music group, uh, as opposed to during the rest of the day, um, and how they interact with the other residents, with me, with their families. Um, I just saw how beneficial music is with them and really, really loved doing that, creating that um, environment and that space for them. Yeah, those are two really beautiful images with each of those. Have you found any similarities between the two populations that surprised you? I do. With dementia, um, a lot of times they will revert back to their younger self. Um, So I do see a lot of that um, childlike youth in my residence. Um, This week we got a, um, I don't do specifically music therapy all the time. Um, It is a huge part of my job, but I'm actually the director of our memory care. And so I oversee the care staff, um, all of the activities, any family issues or anything like that. Um, but the overall activities program, we just bought a robot cat 
Uh, and what I, my stomach is sore from laughing at my residents playing with this cat. And almost all of them know that it's a robot, uh, but it, their interaction with that cat has just made me belly laugh all week. Oh, I can only imagine. My favorite part of that statement was almost all of them know it's a robot cat. They do. And they were like, this is so realistic. They keep asking me if it's a, a boy or a girl. And I'm like, I, I can't check to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Wow. Uh, so what's it like being in that more administrative role? Um, my job has vastly changed um, since I got this job. When I started, um, I was the activities, uh, I was the life enrichment coordinator for the whole building. Um, and then as we grew, um, I went to be the activities person in memory care. And then, like I said, as we've grown, those responsibilities have shifted a lot um, into those more administrative roles. And I, I really enjoy being a, a behind the scenes, making it happen kind of presence. Um, even when I was working at the camp, I loved being a counselor in the cabin with the kids, but I also loved making that program happen on the leadership team. And um, so, and I now have two interns that are underneath me. So I get to uh, enable them to do more of the activities with our residents and see um, somebody else get to experience what I've already experienced uh, with our with our residents. Yeah. So when did you start your internship program? Um, this is my third semester. Um, they'll be finishing up at the end of January. Um, and we had one intern the first two semesters, and now we've grown to a place where we need two interns. So I've currently got two under me. Um, and that has just been really cool. Um, with one internship, you get a lot of new, um, I get a lot of new ideas from them. And um, I also get to kind of stay up on what's going on in the school and what they're learning and um, their experience in music therapy. Um, but then when you have two that are coming out of the same program, they know each other really well. Um, and so they, because we're a university affiliated, so all of my interns come from Georgia College. Um, but the collaboration, um, not only musically, but in planning groups and executing groups and um, just all of it has been taken to a whole nother level having that second person there. Yeah, I bet. I, I did my internship as a solo intern and that's one of the things I wish I wished I had was uh, other interns um, to bounce ideas off of and to communicate with and kind of collab. Definitely. I also did my internship by myself um, I was lucky enough to have uh, one of my friends did the internship at the same site um, a semester ahead of me and was hired on um, and was working there at the time. So I kind of did have that um, other person there that I could kind of say, like, what was your experience like and kind of get a little bit of guidance. But um, but, yeah, I wish I had somebody else there doing it with me. I think it would have um, enhanced that experience. Yeah. But it also would be very different because you, you have to rely, have a lot more self-reliance when it is just you. Yes. And that's something that, that I've talked with my interns about is um, 
I love that y'all are doing groups together, but I also need to make sure that y'all are going to be good to do it on your own when you get out of this internship. Mm-hmm. So what other advice would you have for interns at large? Um, for the interns? I think just know that during this six-month period or whatever this this internship uh, time period is, um, do the most. Like, try try things. See if they work. This is your last experience with somebody um, who's supervising and can give you feedback. And this is a time to experiment and just try new things. Um, I tell my interns, I don't want to feel like I just threw you in the deep end without any uh, floaties, but at the same time, I want you to jump in as soon as possible so that you can get the most out of this experience. You're here for a limited amount of time, so let's go for it. Yeah, I like that a lot. And what would you tell to other internship providers? Um, I was really intimidated at first starting an internship. I knew I, I was very passionate about it because at least in Georgia, we don't have uh, many internship sites available. And so I was very, um, very much for creating a, an internship. I knew that that was important for our field. Um, but I was like, I'm only, you know, two and a half, three years out of my internship. And, um, you know, what, what do I have to offer for these interns? Um, but I have a lot to offer. I have found, um, not to pat myself on the back, but I think all of us have um, our own unique perspective of music therapy and something to share um, with students that are about to enter the workforce. And they get to shadow up underneath you and learn how you do music therapy. Also create for themselves, you know, what they want to do with music therapy. Yeah, and it's great that you're in that more administrative role to kind of have interns under your wing and maybe have more dexterity in what you can have them do or the program you're able to start. Yeah. Right. And I, I love what you said. I have something to offer. I think that's so important for interns to hear, for students to hear, for anyone who's made a career shift to hear. You you always have something to offer. Absolutely. Yeah. It took me a while to learn that, but we do have something to offer. Yeah, beautifully said. So you also in your email said that you sometimes feel limited by music and you're in this this yeah. um, different role. So how have you expanded your practice? So when I was finishing up my um, undergraduate program in, in classes, um, and really even, like I said, I wasn't, I didn't know anything about music therapy when I went into the program. Um, So there have been times even in some of my early classes where I felt limited by that I had to use music. Um, I'd be working with a client and we needed to work on um, their attention span and fine, fine motor movement. And coloring was something that they loved to do. and that was an easy way to attain that goal. Uh, it, it seemed very straightforward to me. Um, and I felt like, well, now how can I put music into that? I have like how I want to get there, my methods, but how can I make that musical? Um, and so 
going into uh, a career in activities, I was not limited by the music. Um, we do all kinds of things. Um, and I found that like bingo is a great assessment tool. Um, going for the iconic assisted living activity. Um, but I can watch one of my residents with dementia, you know, they'll use their finger to kind of follow the board. And so I can see, you know, are you processing that when they say I-29 that you need to go to the I column or are you searching the whole board? Um, you know, and, and making, um, just seeing how they, they think as they go through that. Um, the same thing with arts and crafts projects or um, exercise classes. Um, I see a lot of different um, ways to assess and work with my residents um, where I'm not limited by music. Now I'm doing like four music groups a day. Like we're, we're very heavy on the music, um, but, and some of those I've taken music. So now we do a movement to music class um, several times a week where I have collaborated with a physical therapist to come up with the exercises that are kind of post rehab um, exercises to keep them, you know, moving. Um, and so we've choreographed that to music and do that as a music group. So have you looked at or have you done any trainings or CMTEs or like looked into rec therapy? Or is this kind of the thing that's more collaborative where you work with your coworkers? How have you kind of I guess have you have you found any other resources? I guess that you could recommend to anyone. So I have worked with um, rec therapists, um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, um, and I really love collaborating with them. And sometimes that's me taking the lead um, and having them support me, but also the other way around. Um, I may support physical therapy by you know, adding music into that. Um, because I also have, um, working in a memory care, I also have my residents that have Parkinson's. And so having that steady beat to walk to um, is really helpful during physical therapy. Um, and I've, I've found, okay, I remember where I was going. Um, back, I, I've always approached all of my activities with that same training that I had for music therapy. It may not be a music activity, but I'm always looking at it from that therapeutic approach of what is our goal? What's our objective? How are we going to get there? Um, you know, tracking progress and um, having those routine activities throughout the week. Um, I'm able to continually assess my residents and see. Um, it's also difficult working with um, dementia because our residents don't typically make progress on goals. Um, a lot of it is quality of life um, and in the moment um, interventions. But um, just seeing, I'm also able to track any decline um, and be able to keep, uh, you know, a closer eye on my residents. And I've worked some places where activities weren't valued as um, part of the interdisciplinary team, but I've also worked places um, where the doctors looked at me and said, okay, I'm taking all of our uh, residents off of any antipsychotic medications. 
Um, and I was like, okay, and then what are you going to do? Because that does not sound like a good idea. And he was like, what are you going to do as the activities professional and the music therapist? Uh, what interventions are you going to put in place to prevent these behaviors from happening? And so I did. There were like 17 residents that came off of their antipsychotic medications all at the same time. And I just had to know all of my residents really well to know that um, they're going to get agitated about four o'clock. So if I do a music group at 3.30 and they're distracted uh, by that music and really engaged in that activity, they don't have that behavior at four o'clock. It's when they're not engaged and they have, you know, their mind wandering and, and thinking about, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so that's been neat to see the, the power of activities and of music therapy in that um, as a medical intervention. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to take on. So congratulations on that success story. Um, it's also really awesome that because you are either facilitating or co-facilitating these other interventions, these other modalities, you have the opportunity to see the residents in other ways. So instead of you see these 12 people for music therapy once a week or whenever, and the OT is always saying to you, I never see them this engaged or this whatever, this whatever. And you have that ability to see the difference and see the change yeah. and know how to adjust to their needs when they're not necessarily in the music with you. Right. Um, and that is a big difference in, in my practice is that it's a residential setting. So I do get to see the same people every day. Um, and I'm, I'm doing life with them is what I like to say, especially about our memory care. Um, and that's been something that is really great. I get to form really um, strong relationships with these residents. Um, but it also can be really hard when it comes to like um, death. Yeah. Um, that we're in a termination for us is typically at the end of life, um, not at the end of, of meeting a goal or um, at the end of the school year. Um, and so that's been something that my interns and I have been processing a lot this semester is how to um, cope with that, uh, with death and and watching people decline. Um, it can be really, really difficult sometimes. What works for you to be able to process those heavy, heavy um, experiences? Um, for me, a lot of times, journaling, writing down um, stories of that person, um, especially the focusing on the happy memories of them. Um, and I just have a mentality of kind of look at the good and, and focus on that, um, which is helpful, knowing that I made a difference um, at the end of their life and gave them an experience that they wouldn't have had otherwise necessarily um, and formed that, that relationship that that was meaningful to them. Um, that's helpful. Writing that down, getting it out, um, something that I can go back and read if I want to, um, kind of keeps that, that memory alive as well over the years. Yeah, yeah, as a profession, 
I, I have two thoughts on that. I think as a profession, we're pretty good about not stifling things and emotions, but as a, there's obviously different generations that process those things different ways. So mm-hmm. as a music therapist in this generation, it's kind of like you really, I feel like as a collective, we're really like, we need to process these things. We can't just put it in a box and deal with it when I retire in 40 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My coworker, um, has recommended that especially on like a bad day or if something's you know really weighing on you heavily um going home getting a shower and watching all of that go down the drain Mm. just imagining all of that go down the drain is a and i found that helpful as well yeah those are great tools for anyone anyone listening who needs those i remember uh when i was a student i one of my peers, I think, had a hospice clinical practicum, and at conference, she attended a concurrent session about it, and uh, the person facilitating that said something similar, that they have a death journal, for lack of a mm-hmm. better name, where she would just document uh, her emotions and her experiences with these people, and that was her safe place to recognize the relationship and handle her grief or whatever else came up for her. Definitely. Yeah. Journaling. Good. All right. I'm going to switch to a lighter topic. Tell us about your experience podcasting, because this is not new to you, being on a podcast. All right. So I am a co-host on the Clinical Populations podcast. Um, And Gabby Banzen and I went to school together at Georgia College in our undergraduate program. And she started the podcast, and I was the biggest fan. No offense to all the other biggest fans out there um, <laughs> that have been with us since the beginning. But I was texting her. I was like, this is awesome. I am so glad that you've been doing this. I had just got really into listening to podcasts, and I was looking for music therapy podcasts. And I was like, there just aren't that many out there. Um, when I would search music therapy, it, it would pop up with nothing. Um, so I was like, thank you so much for doing this. And then... Um, they finished up season one and she was like, so you want to be on our podcast? Cause you've got like a really unique perspective working with geriatrics that none of us have. Um, and so I was like, absolutely. I want to be beyond that. And that was another one of those moments where I was like, I have something to give. And I had to keep telling myself that I was like, who, who am I to be on this podcast? I mean, I'm, I'm just a guy from Georgia that working in assisted living, but I was like, I've got a perspective that I can share with people. Um, and so that has just been a great, um, a great activity for me. I've loved, um, podcasting. It has kind of rekindled, um, some of my passion for, uh, music therapy, um, and made me, it's challenged me in a lot of ways because I am, almost going back to that first class where I didn't know what I was doing and coming up with session plans <laughs> for different songs. Um, and it just, it, it's exciting also to hear other music therapist perspectives on the same uh, prompt and just get to share that. Yeah. Yeah, the other word I think of is energy. So you obviously would go into a session with your elders with a very different energy than I would say would go in with my five-year-olds or Gabby would go in with her. I think she's kind of like a teen population-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Allison is also, she's adults-ish, right? 
I believe. Like, like yes. young adults. So, um, so perspective is is great, but you also have like just a different energy with how you approach that thing and how you speak about the interventions you would use and those kinds of things. Absolutely. So what has been your favorite part about doing clinical populations? Um, I think that just sharing the different perspectives and energies and, and all of that. Um, but, and sadly, I have not been able to be a part of either of our um, presentations so far. Uh, we were able to present at the Southwestern Regional Conference. Um, and then we just presented at the National Conference. Um, but we are also going to be able to present at the World Congress of Music Therapy in July of 2020. And I'm very excited to be a part of that, uh, saving my money to, to go to Africa. Yeah, you guys have a Patreon, right? I'll plug we your do. Patreon. All right, I'll link that too. Check out Clinical Populations on Patreon. Please do. Are you nervous to be in front of a live audience? Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially at like the world level. That is just crazy to me. Um, I'm very honored to have been asked to, to do that. And we all are. Um, but yeah, I think nervous is a good word. <laughs> Don't excited be as well. You have something to offer. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited to see where you guys take it because you you have an awesome project going you all work really well together and you're you're all humble kind human beings and that goes for most MTs out there but I really enjoy listening to your conversations thank you thank you thank you for putting them out there are you ready to move into rapid fire sure all right coffee or tea um, coffee, definitely at least two cups in the morning. Um, I was doing decaf for a while and that just wasn't working for me, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, or sweet tea. I mean, I am from Georgia, so mm. I don't Real think that that's tea. the same thing, right? <laughs> Early bird or night owl? I would say night owl, even though I have become more of an early bird, um, in my, my job and stuff, I've got to get up, you know, in the mornings, but, um, and I've gotten much better about that, but definitely have my most, um, like my prime energy is in, in the evenings. We should have scheduled this for late at night then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Something you would tell your younger self. Hmm. I think, um, like I've mentioned that, that I have something to offer um, and that I can do hard things, um, not to be scared to, to go for something um, that seems really daunting or, or big. Yeah, well said. Your music therapy elevator speech. Um, so I do work with a pretty specific population. And so when I'm talking about music therapy, I typically, um, talk about that in the context of working with dementia. Um, and so I'll let them know that, um, I'm a professional healthcare, um, a healthcare professional that works with music as my main tool, um, to achieve different goals. And so with um, working with dementia, I focus on three main goals. 
Um, one is cognitive stimulation, um, working on recall and um, and reminiscing with my, my residents. Um, I also work in a social capacity um, and try to form you know, new relationships and, and strengthen those relationships through music um, and then also through movement um, and, and using music um, as a medium to keep them active and um, engaged. Yeah, well said. Your favorite self-care practice? Um, I really like to spend time with my family on the weekends. Um, that is when I come home from a weekend, um, away, spending time with like my, my brother and sister-in-law or my, my family. Um, I feel very much, um, re-energized for the week. Um, and then I also like yoga. Um, I'm very much a thinker and so my mind's always going. So meditating can be really hard for me, but yoga is a physical form of meditation where you're focused on your body doing a specific something and, and holding it. Um, so that, that can be helpful to um, slow down my mind a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I like that explanation. Something that is currently adding value to your life. Um, the podcast definitely is. Um, I look forward to recording each of our episodes. Um, and then I'd also say my internship. Um, I just love going to work and getting to pour into some eager students that are about to go out into the world and just helping them prepare for that, taking each day as it, as it comes and whatever's going to happen, you know, and just facing that with them. They can be invigorating, those students. Definitely. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session, and for you, if it's not necessarily musical, if it's something else you like to do, then share that. Um, I really like, um, we do a lot of like Name That Tune, um, which our residents, you know, don't, have that recall in most areas. Um, if you're having a conversation with them and, and talking about something that they've experienced in their life before, um, they can have difficulty coming up with the the story or the answer, you know, to your questions. But you start playing some Frank Sinatra, and they can tell you it's Frank Sinatra and the name of the song and sing every word of it. <laughs> um, so I love seeing them um, get to kind of show off uh, during that activity. Um, and then my favorite non-music activity, I think would be balloon volleyball. Um, we get a balloon going and I've cut pool noodles in half. Mm -hmm. So they're like little bats that they can use. Um, and they, they love that. Um, we will, you know, challenge them. They'll be using their dominant hand and about halfway through we'll be like, okay, now you got to switch. And they're like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they, they really enjoy that activity as well. That's a great example of a non-musical intervention that is working towards those goals. And it, oh, awesome sure. visual. I'm just picturing them having a heyday, swallowing oh, yes. around. 
All right. And lastly, where can people find you and connect with you? Uh, well, you can find me through um, Clinical Populations um, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I'm also, my name is John Moon, J-O-H-N-M-O-O-N on Facebook and John Moon MTBC on Instagram. Awesome. I will link those so people can connect with you. And if you haven't already, I think you're the third person from Clinical Populations I've had on. So if you're listening to this episode and you've made it to the end, now go check out Clinical Populations if you haven't already. They do some awesome stuff over there and you can hear more from John. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for talking with me today and giving me some of your weekend time. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. so much for tuning into this week's episode. I really enjoyed that conversation with John and it's really exciting to hear just the phrase, I have something to offer. I think that is so important for all of us to remember. Uh, You know, I had some of that imposter syndrome when I was starting this podcast. You know, why would someone want to listen to me talk and what do I have to offer with interviewing people and all that kind of stuff. So it's great to be reminded that we all have something to offer the community, to offer students, to offer our clients, to offer anything that we are inspired to do. We have something to offer toward that project. If you are looking for a way to support the podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on patreon.com. I will have the link in the show notes if you're interested in that. And our patrons have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions. So when I schedule an interview with a guest, I put that up on the Patreon page and the guests can ask their questions there. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode, and I will see you in the next one. Mm -hmm.